0: Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Rolling for Change. This time around we're talking to Isaac Bluefoot about his project, Omen Quest Cards, which you can find on Kickstarter right now. Um, please listen to this episode and then immediately go to Kickstarter and fund, help fund Isaac in getting this, uh, this amazing card game uh, created so that we can all get out and play it together. Um, okay, here we go. Hello, and welcome to Rolling for Change. My name is Woody Harris, and I am talking with Isaac Bluefoot of Dragonflower Inc., and also. Uh, the creator of Omen Quest cards world deck, which is now on Kickstarter. Um, please go check that out as soon as you can. But uh, we're going to talk to Isaac about his creation of the game, what the game is, and even some of the uh, some of the history of the game. Um, so, hi, Isaac. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Woody. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, I was uh, once I saw this game, I was really excited to uh, find out more and. Uh, uh... get more into the detail of what's going on here because uh... you you piqued my interest as you know rolling for change focuses on uh... it's hard to give it a a very clear sound bite of what rolling for Change is, but rolling for change focuses on our experience with games and uh... some of the psychology behind games as well as some of the uh... some of the cognitive things that happen in gaming but uh... mostly almost like a a phenomenological uh, look at what it's like to be a gamer and so Omen Quest really piqued my attention when I saw it and uh, maybe we should start with just kind of you could define for us what Omen Quest is and uh, tell us a little bit more about it. Omen Quest basically is a deck of cards with archetypal
1: images of nature on them and like things like river and mountain and uh, valley and all sorts of things that we kind of have an inherent meaning for. And then they're used to play an assortment of games and all the games have no way to lose. And so what ends up happening is we tap into our like subconscious feelings accidentally or even on purpose but no matter what you can't avoid them because that's how subconscious feelings work and the the premise kind of lays a safe space out for you to be able to create a poem or some sort of story or a relationship of sorts out of the cards and it has a really refreshing way of just making conversations move and having kind of social experiences are really great like i i see people like really as they are when I'm playing with them because they kind of can't hide behind other things because you kind of just start playing how you feel and it gets very
0: real very quickly without any contentions. That's kind of the standby here at uh, Rolling for Change is that our, uh, the things that we put in front of ourselves on the table are usually somehow reflective of the person behind behind the table or Ooh, in front like of the that. table, however you want to look at it. I, I like that because it's, it's literally the
1: things you put down on the table are the cards you're holding that you're having associations with. Um,
0: so that, that's a great way of phrasing it. So how does this uh, how does Omen Quest come to be? I have, I have all kinds of questions that are going to dig deep into this, but uh, where's the, the inspiration point for this? Well, um, I think that first I, I, I kind of actually would, would go into
1: my, my relationship with board games first. So, okay. though, though it was kind of accidental, I didn't realize I was going into this. Um, I grew up in a in a pretty big family. I have nine siblings, and so board games were a pretty common practice for us. And we had like the standards of the '80s. So we had like your your Monopoly and your Life and your Parcheesi's and all the, whatever it was that was the Clue. '80s. Yeah, clue. Oh, that's that's always a standard. Um yeah. <laughs> that's all we all forever Um but uh we had all of those and I got to say like um I think it's become a meme in the internet era about just how a monopoly game leads to two people fighting and everyone else in the other room having a good time. <laughs> and I really started seeing that like and it's I see this way not just with with board games, but I look at like mythology, comic books, movies in a very similar light where i believe they kind of inform us of who we are and they kind of give us little subtle cues of how we're supposed to behave and how we're supposed to act and i've really been disappointed in the cues that monopoly offers i know it's originally got like the socialist rules as well but those aren't the rules we handed down so um i kind of just get the sense of like that that the way our board games make us interact has an effect on us and in turn i i really wasn't thinking about making a board game when i made omen quest at the time i was working on a graphic novel okay and there was it's been a long years i was working on this graphic novel and i really um admiring frank herbert to the utmost, and the work he put into Dune, and the extreme amount of world building he did, I was doing an obsessive amount of world building at the time and the the first phase of Omen Quest's Light was in 2003 I'd been obsessing over a list of archetypes that I was going to be using for the, for the book structure for mm-hmm. me I needed to do that to resolve certain issues, I just was listing down nature archetypes and one day waking up, still thinking about my list, I said out loud, I was like, what's the difference between a creek and a stream? And <laughs> and my kid's I, mother hears me say this, and I think she gave me the eye roll of, oh my God, this is my life now. And, <laughs> and she left the room for a moment and she comes back and she says, you know that list of yours? You should turn that into a card deck, a tarot deck. And I was like, oh my God, that is the best idea ever, and I leapt out of bed, and I grabbed my pad, and I immediately started sketching thumbnail sketches of the cards, and then for the next two weeks, I'm like, after I get home from work, I'm like kind of following her around, asking her to help me with the project, and what her ideas about what the writing would say, because she's more of a writer back then, and I was more of a artist, and so was it was a graphic novel, and a couple weeks of this go, and she eventually tells me that, that she doesn't want to be part of my card deck, and I'm like, but our card deck, our card deck, she's like, no, it's your card deck, it's your card deck, and I'm like, ooh. <laughs> I should have seen the writing on the wall that, 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 that the marriage wasn't going to last then. I think that was the first, like, foreshadowing. But years later. 2007 i had the project got put aside because i didn't have a partner to work on it with me Mm -hmm. and uh during that summer i was enrolled in the local humboldt state university at the time and i had a little bit of off time during between semesters and i was like oh i'm gonna work on my graphic novel i'm gonna do an interview that's what i would call the writing process i go through when i like Mm -hmm. kind of get in the head of a character um, I'm going to interview the guy that made the first written language because I need to start working on the written language for the graphic novel And so I'm sitting down taking notes on this this writing session, so to speak or interview session And I'm like, well, what kind of symbols? Did you know and and like any writer? He says well I wrote about what I knew and I went, okay What did you know and he's like, you know rivers mountains creeks valleys? I'm like, uh-huh. uh-huh. I'm writing the list I'm like, wait, I know this list and I go get my table of contents to the giant massive stack of pads that tells me what I've written for the last nine years and uh I flip to the page that has archetypes and the list of the the archetypes of the earth are there and the thumbnail sketches are on the opposite page and I'm like oh yeah I was gonna make a card deck And suddenly it dawned on me that I now owned a computer at this point years later and I'd been enrolled in school so I had the software and I had the knowledge of how to use it I'd been using Photoshop for ages but not Illustrator Um, and then I it all kind of just had a moment of click where I understood the actions that needed to happen for me to have my card deck and five days later progressively less sleep each night on the last Hmm. night be too busy printing the the three by five cards all excited um i didn't sleep and somehow the result of not sleeping led me to be in such a mind state that the games the first three games that you couldn't lose just kind of came about like automatically As was like oh yeah it goes like this and i kind of stumbled into being a game maker without realizing it
0: okay uh so you, you mentioned going to school, and I kind of wanted to get into... Because I, I see this as, you know, you talked about it being like a tarot deck and kind of these archetypes. And so I was wondering if there's any psychology in your background, any psychology school, any Jungian psychology or humanistic psychology.
1: That's... um I didn't actually formally study much psychology, though we had man and his symbols. It was, a, was like on the shelf as a child. Mm-hmm. And... I think I took a really premature um, interest in it because I just was fascinated by uh, everything that Jung does. Mm-hmm. I, I find him to be one of the the more brilliant minds. I tend to laugh lovingly at Freud, um, <laughs> but uh, as we all do. Yeah, that's. What we think. <laughs> Yeah, so I've done a lot of casual study of psychology um, but never never so much in the formal fields being um, when I was born, I had an extreme amount of oxygen deprivation. Hence my name's bluefoot was because I was born foot first in blue. Oh wow. Um, okay. It, it gave me a lot of synesthesias, or uh-huh. at least one or two that, that have been really confusing and hard to figure out. That synesthesia was a good word to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in turn, I think it didn't. If it sped up a lot of the things in my brain, it seems, except for reading. Um, and so I tended when I got to college. I I leaned towards the arts solidly because they were a really comfortable space where I f- naturally excelled. And every time I'm in an academic class, I get good grades because I only take a few academic classes at a time or one or two. Okay. Um, but it always would be that I'm I'm I've really got to put myself to the
0: reading. And so in turn, I really was intimidated about subjects like psychology, though. I love it. I totally understand, because being in those classes, it was, I mean, young as it as it is, young is very intimidating. If Absolutely. you can't sort of get the language or get the ideas, if it doesn't sort of come to you as as this breath of fresh air that it can be then it can come to you as this really almost stifling, like I, I've got to change my entire worldview. And also his writing is very um, obtuse at times. Oh and yeah, definitely. Is the best way I could possibly put it. I found, um, I found the overall, the
1: concepts just naturally struck home for me over and over again. I'm like, oh, Young, you know it, don't you? And then, <laughs> but the, again, his writing can can be obtuse. And I think of even more example, someone who took the torch from Young uh, would be Joseph Campbell and Uh i really love the work of joseph campbell um the, the mythologist and he really extended a lot of of young's ideas of just the universal symbols into mythology and his writing i think the best description i give it is pithy it's just so dense with fiber that it's really hard to chew through um and yet listening to joseph campbell speak is an absolute pleasure he did uh the Power of Myth with Bill Moyers years ago. Bill Moyers, the eighties, yeah. and and I put that one on just for fun um, to listen to a lot of the time because it's just it's just marvelous.
0: Yeah, it's a fantastic series. We watched it in uh, in college uh, as part of one of my humanistic psych classes. Nice. Um, watched it all the way through, and I had I didn't know who he was prior to that, but uh, we had to spend a lot of time. Uh, working with Joseph Campbell, you know, Red Hero with a Thousand Faces, and uh, lots, lots of good stuff going on there. So these are the things that are informing Omen Quest, basically, is this uh, you're coming to this with this background of interest in mythology and archetypes without necessarily having a psychology background, which is maybe even better, because psychology can be so rigorous sometimes that you might lose some of the value of it if you're not like playing in psychology versus being a psychologist maybe a a whole different thing and uh may provide some new insight into something so that's where this this game comes from yeah that was a really i like that provocative insight there there really seems to be like once you
1: as an artist i honestly (laughs) in my youth sometime you know getting interested in things like joseph campbell at the time and um, I really was appreciating that artists of the past were like the shamanic figures and they were the figures who kind of manipulated and changed the mo- the internal landscapes. Um, that's an ironic thing to say as we're talking about Omen Quest, but uh, it really was to me a marvelous thing that I saw the artists, the role they used to play in their societies was one of the more incredible incredibly pivotal roles because it informed everybody how to see the world and how to change their feelings and it it was a deep shamanic practice. And those were the original artists. Uh, And yet when I finally, sometime after Omen Quest, um, Omen Quest came into my life and kind of forced me to start engaging with people in a way that I didn't have to as an artist who just wanted to stay at home and paint. And in turn, it kind of started giving me a new identity in my community. And sometime, a few years after making Omen Quest, I became a puppeteer, and then I started just doing local puppet shows, and I found that the thing I really, really wanted from painting and connecting to people was more readily available to me in, in both theater and playing games, because people would actually start allowing to work with those feelings in real time rather than just kind of like stare at the painting and then go home and think about it for a few years until one day they have some sort of breakthrough finally.
0: Yeah, painting and art can be, uh, you know, you talk about it being uh, sort of the the way of helping other people see the reality. It can also be this very, it can be this very iconoclastic activity in which you're trying to shake up the view of the world around you. Absolutely. And uh, that can certainly be done with puppetry and games and, Um, I've seen it happen in in all these venues. So um, it's a fantastic way of extending out art into, um, you know, more of an activated presence as opposed to a static existence that's out there. Absolutely.
1: There's a great quote I love, and you reminded me of it, which
0: is, um, Art's job is
1: to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Oh, I love that. And, and at the same time, what I find is, is it's really hard as an artist to know who your audience is and whether they're feeling disturbed or whether they're feeling comfortable. I really appreciated the ideals behind the Dadaists, but I think that their execution of cacophony was just kind of horrific. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Dada movement in art. only the band (laughs) yeah so so they they had it was the 1920s and they would uh their feeling was is that society was just too comfortable in itself and the bourgeoisie and their art were just too uh settled in what they thought art was and the dottists announced that everything was art and then they would go about just sometimes making horrible art in my opinion I'm sad to say like there was one performance that was famous where a man and just got up on stage and just I I don't know exactly uh, how to how to say it with delicacy but he just used one of the more the 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 fecal cuss word uh, repeatedly the entire time until the room rioted I kid you not um, and that was their version of disturbing the comfortable and And yet at the same time some people in that audience might not have been that comfortable in life and we don't need to disturb people so it's funny that i feel that omen quest is a great example of this is it has a kind of meet you where you're at thing if you need comforting it's you're gonna find comfort if you need something to disturb from it it's it's gonna be the more disturbing it's kind of i i gotta say uh it, it tends to perfectly do that because you can't meet it anywhere but where you're at it's So I like to think that it's a safe way to know that we're implementing those those practices of disturbing the the comfortable and and comforting the disturbed.
0: In a sense, it's it's taking the place of I don't mean taking the place of, but I I can feel this kind of idea that it's taking the place of therapy. Like oh. therapy, the idea, we always try to say when we're when we're starting a therapy session or when we're talking about what therapy is, we say we want to meet the client where they're at. We want to meet you where you are. And so you're saying that the cards are able to do this at, at just as part of their existence. They, they This is just what they do. They meet you where you're at. And I yeah. know that's part of the reflective properties of the thing, but um, somehow you're, I'm hearing somehow that in the game, There is a safety to this because, you know, it can be dangerous to open people up to these kind of hidden ideas that are not really present in their lives at the moment. And here we have this wonderful uh, sort of projective sitting right in front of us. And now we're in a group of people and we're talking about this projective and, and perhaps burying our soul a little bit. How did you manage to keep that as a safe place for people in the midst of the game?
1: It was a complete accident actually, I just recently realized how that mechanism was put into place was when I declared that you couldn't lose. Um, when I would tell people, like there's a there's a set of processes I see people go through when I show them the deck. Um, to, to, to both of them, they're very pretty. So the first thing people okay. usually see when they see the back of the cards is they go, ooh. And then I say, oh yeah, and I start showing them the cards and there's archetypes of nature on them and all, everyone's got meanings associated with them. They go, ah. And I say, and we play games you can't lose. And they go, what? And I think that what that translates to in our back of our minds is I'm not going to judge you and i think that everyone's kind of just so excited about the potentiality that they are going to be able to express themselves without judgment being passed and so i think that's how you create that safe space is just simply saying look you can't lose it's true i do a lot of cajoling when i play with Mm -hmm. some people the first time where i'm like don't worry you can't go wrong you're gonna only get better you're gonna get better forever and ever and and there's a thing where actually even though you can't lose it can be frighteningly hard at times. Like people will lock up and be like, oh no, I, I can't, I can't do this. And I'll say, of course you can. Your turn's gonna be over in three cards, don't you worry. And and eventually, like usually they just do it. And and it's funny because the longer they resist, almost, almost inevitably, it's because something is way more powerful is about to come out. And so there's a really, really interesting quality to it and there's another thing also which is that you actually don't know what people are talking about when they play their hand so they might play three cards and say some association with it and you might have your own association but the reality is is that you don't know exactly what they meant and you might have a feeling of what they meant especially if you're close friends and you know where they're at and your chance to respond to it is in your turn not by saying anything directly about their life so because the response is gonna be a problem, and then it kind of creates a safe space where you're not gonna be confronted for having brought up something that was maybe bothering you. No one's gonna be like, oh, really? You're gonna talk about that while we're playing cards? You don't do that, you, you play your card hand. And you, if you want to be passive-aggressive back, go for it. It's your turn. Do whatever you want. But I don't think that those those passive-aggressive things last for long in a game like this because the reality is even if you want to say something about their hand with your cards, you're going to say something about your life with your cards,
0: whether you know it or not. I love that. <laughs> the whether you know it or not. Yeah. So by taking away the win condition and the lose condition... You, you've made the you've made it more open and inviting. Absolutely. Although
1: I think that the win condition is not entirely removed because every time you get to a card hand that's particularly challenging, and mm-hmm. it's it's hard to say what makes it challenging from one person to another. I think that that this the back and forth quality of it is it creates a a dialogue that's different, and I think that there's also a, a place where. You kind of can be a, a very soft therapist, so to speak, when you're playing with people. Sometimes they might play something rather tragic and I might respond with a similar tragedy, but not necessarily the my version of their tragedy and it gives them a different place and new way of looking at themselves. You do win because when you reach one of those really hard cards and you finally get over your hand, I can't clinically say you're feeling serotonin. I don't have evidence of that. <laughs> you haven't done any tests. I have not done any blind, double blind studies, but I, I can see people just get a with relief and f- positive sensations. Um, they get high fives often. They're like, yes, okay. and then, then everyone passes out high fives because we all know how amazing that was for you. And so you're definitely getting the, the psychology of winning without the the threat of loosening
0: that part right there takes it away from a little bit of what i was about to say which is kind of a critical aspect of things like this is just like telestrations and and some of the other sort of party games and drawing games and things like that is that um you can have this sense that it's more of an activity than a game um so i think when you add the challenging piece like you say okay we're challenging ourselves to to respond to a set of of stimuli basically and now that we've got we've figured out how to do it we've we've come up with uh, we've had the inspiration moment we've had a way to get past this block that's the winning so it's not so much the typical at the end of the game I can say I won at the end of the game I can say that something happened within me that means that I have won but there's not like I didn't win over other people
1: Exactly. Um, I often like to say it's you versus the moment, and and we've always managed to win out over the moment, moment after moment, and some moments are very hard, some moments are kind of easy, but over and over again you keep having moments to face, and then you keep having to overcome them with the process of the game and uh, recently it was challenged to me whether it was a game at all and whether it was just an activity. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, it's definitely a game. And they're like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like an activity using like the Board Gamer Geeks website's definition of game. They were really holding it against me. And I I thought about it. And finally I concluded, I'm like, wait, make believe is a game like when we say let's play make-believe we don't say let's activity make-believe we say let's play make-believe and i was like oh if make-believe is a game then i can say this is a game this is just a more structured game than make-believe but with the same mechanism that there's no
0: win and it's you versus the moment and trying to just create your way through it well when you think about play play is a i I think i can see gaming as being a subset of play where play is kind of this open-ended open world I can do anything I want to and there's no outcome you know it, it's just whatever comes up it's just a, I'm creating in the moment and I'm imagining or I'm I'm being involved um, and then you get something like a game which is a we've taken this open world situation and we've structured it down to a particular set of rules and requirements so that you're you're existing in a smaller box now and so you have to react to the smaller box and I, I think that that's 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 getting close to the understanding of the difference in activity and game um, well, but I, I like this idea that there's an internalized you're, you're still winning basically absolutely. and there, that's that's something i haven't even thought about so it, it's it's new to me to think about that because i start to think about telestrations and have you played telestrations telestrations no i heard you mention that i instantly wondered what it was So, Telestrations is a, it's like the telephone game that we played when we were kids where, you know, you whisper to one and you whisper to one and you whisper to one and, you know, you see how it distorts along the way. Well, in this case, instead, you are first writing down a phrase and then you pass it to the next person and they draw the phrase. And then you pass it to the next person and they write down what they see. And so, it passes around like that and then at the end you have... Uh, a full sort of set, almost like a story, not really a story, that you open up and show to everybody, and hilarity ensues, because inevitably, whatever the first person says, you know, they might have said hot dog bun, and it gets around, and it's uh, something like chihuahua in a sweater, Um, and it's just... uh, it's more of an activity. And, and the reason that Tom Vassell and folks from Dice Tower and other people kind of call it an activity because there's really no quote unquote win condition. Like you don't you don't lose, you don't win. We don't judge each other's drawings and, and things of that nature. I think the game itself might have an aspect where there's supposed to be some kind of voting process mm-hmm. similar to Cards Against Humanity or something. But it's really, I've never played it that way because nobody seems to really care about judging one another or, you know, we just, we're, we're in it for the fun, basically. Absolutely absolutely and so that's the win condition in that game is did you have a good time was it an enjoyable trip and i I get the feeling that with omen quest we're basically saying the the win here is i found something within myself that i didn't recognize before or i gave something to somebody else that they didn't recognize before
1: i think that the the win is even simpler than that the win is oh good it's not my turn the pressure is off
0: (laughs) well and, that's that's a little simplistic because you could just not play the game <laughs> well it's true it's absolutely true and I, but one
1: of my jokes goes that might be the only way to lose is to leave with a bad attitude um that is in i think that like how can i say it another way um because it, you you're absolutely nailing like perfectly the the world between game and activity and where omen quest kind of dances there and i think that there's kind of one of the there's very few rules like some of the rules i have are mandated rules and some of them are like suggested rules for instance in the game of high you hold 5 cards you play 3 at a time um, but you can do more than three and you can do less than three. You should do definitely more than one because there's no such... You're not making much association between one card. You kind of like need to create a relationship um, to really start getting the the gel. Everyone's got an inner valley, but it's how you line up your inner valley with one of your other cards that's going to start actually provoking something from you. So you got to do more than one card, but you don't have to do the three cards. If someone plays two, four, five, everyone... Celebrates that they finish their turn. They just draw more cards on their next turn and then we go on But one of the rules that cannot be bent is that no one can skip their turn. You have to go in a circle because introverted people will try to duck out and not be seen and think that they're succeeding at what they think they're doing. Like, aha, no one knows that I haven't played yet. So you have to put it in a circle to make sure that everybody feels just for a moment that they've been put underneath the fire. The pressure's on. They have to perform.
0: Don't worry. We're not judging. And and so obviously you have to play with a group of people that are open to that particular way of seeing things. That, that's where your safety comes from is choosing the right people to... In- to engage with that's a really great way of putting it um
1: maybe i'm just subconsciously filtering everybody um because i do do tend to play often throughout my day i because they're they're just in my bag with me so i can often just say hey can i show you my cards and i find there's a at least in my hometown and we're pretty Pretty small, not a huge town, and we're particularly known for how much people in this town hug each other when they say hi. <laughs> um, it's a really, it's a really loving kind of place. Um, I love you, Arcata. um Anyways, so it's a really <laughs> loving place, and and so I can see that there is tends to be more people of that disposition, but I do meet people who have other dispositions, and they're just as happy to have the relief of judgment taken off of them too, and in turn they're usually subconsciously will just do the favor right back for you this they're like okay that was Thanks for doing that for me. Here it's your turn. No one, no one quite knows what the safe space is made of, because I don't say, we're not going to judge each other. I just say, we can't lose. It's, it's like a little bit of code language. And I only until like a couple weeks ago realized that's what, what it's saying, is that we're not judging each other. And I don't want to actually add that to the rules. I'm going to keep going with, you can't lose, because I feel that that, that one sentence alone
0: is a very freeing sentence just that you can't lose, as opposed to we're not judging one another.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that not judging one another says, because the reality is you might make a judgment of someone's hand. You're just not going to give them a hard time about it. Come on, right? We're, right? We're humans. You might actually make a judgment, and I'm not going to tell you, are you not judging in your head? Don't judge. <laughs> Stop it. You're not doing it right. That would be...
0: It's a yeah. mind crime.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of places where you just can't stop them from from uh, being away, and you just kind of like and Omen Quest again. It, it's got a lot of that worked into it, where it's just like, look, I can't, I can't tell you how to do this. I can't demand that you have an association with those cards, and this is really how you felt about them. You could, I've seen like for instance, some people will just play in poetry, in rhyming poetry, the entire time, and I honestly have experienced that to be somewhat of a insulary quality for them. Like they're using it to keep them from addressing their feelings Mm -hmm. because they're just trying to stick with the rhyme. Um, And that's fine. I am like, you know what? That's how you want to play. I am sure that whichever of these cards were actually intimidating you on a deeper emotional level, that'll stick with you later. I'm not worried about it. I'm I'm fine. I think you're going to, and people who avoid a card for hand after hand after hand, like, they have to go to bed at night knowing that they were unable to play the plateau card for like half an hour, like. <laughs> and I don't really think that that's. I think it's a really just having that space to, to to think about why the plateau was so hard to play makes the plateau stay with them longer, and in turn they'll reach a new plateau. But a bump.
0: Ha uh-huh. ha. So you've you've sent me a version of of the game called uh, You Tell Me. Yes, which uh, we're doing through Instagram, and I, I just want to get some background first because I, I know that you sent this to me with the idea that we're going to play this here on on the show. Um, what are the rules with which I address these cards and? um you're talking about poetry does the poetry required to rhyme tell me more about the rules that you set in place for this game okay well this
1: one's based off of the game called haiku not haiku but haiku um and that i think actually is a great summary of omen quest in itself and that a haiku is structured and rigid of five seven five syllables Mm -hmm. um a haiku is not if you really like structure go ahead and throw some structure in uh if you're not feeling structure don't It's just a way of, it's the same way of repeating the idea that there's no way to lose and that, you know, in the world of art and in the world of poetry, like, there are no wrong poems. So the word haiku becomes a silly way of making fun of haiku and then ensuring that, like, everyone understands that this is a bit silly and, and not necessarily in the realm of, like, uh... I guess, highbrow art, so to speak, <laughs> and so that being a high cue, you can say you'd play five of your five cards, you'd play three of them about, as I mentioned, in the mm-hmm. game you tell me, you'd pick three of your cards and you would hand them, put them on the table for someone else to make a poem out of. Okay. And so it's pretty much the same game, except for from there, we kind of make a, a bit of a lattice net in turn, if we're in a circle. So we're like taking turns of who's playing to whose cards until everybody's made a poem for everyone else's cards.
0: And so the, the, the structure that you give for the poem that you're creating does not really... No, any necessity that it has to rhyme?
1: None at all. None at all. Like, well, there's another game called Make It Rhyme, but that one's just called Make It Rhyme. Um, I did see that.
0: Yeah, we, we we named it pretty basically. We didn't want to confuse people. And so, so for the listeners, the, there are five games, I believe that you can play with this set of cards, and I, I guess that shows sort of the modularity of the game, the ability to uh, manipulate it to other needs um but that that gives you some idea of why you should go to the kickstarter and take a look and pledge because there's not just one game slash activity here there are there are options here absolutely yeah so you tell me
1: you could um i think i sent you one just before we started you did yeah and you could, if you'll make a poem off of that one i think i it's a uh, fog eclipse and stars yes okay yes, it is well, take your time or not too long, because <laughs> the pressure is
0: on now, Woody. Okay, well, uh, the world is misty, the light is obscured, but behind it all, smaller visions exactly perfect (laughs) it's funny because you did really wonderful you didn't
1: add a question mark to yours which isn't bad if you add a question mark but i often joke with new members of like how many of the people who play for their first two times their poem somehow needs to have a question mark at the end um but you did a great job there that's fantastic um want to give me three cards from the uh, okay
0: i think i've done that i think i've sent you something
1: i've received something okay here we go i got okay i've got sunrise island and sunset and so um there's actually the one you sent me i actually wrote a poem on that one originally so i already I, I see
0: that i didn't poem, realize i was doing that to
1: you no it's fine it's fine i'm gonna i'm gonna ignore that poem and actually read that but one where are you one. now isaac i know we live in the <laughs> present okay here we are so I, a new idea just sprung to mind while i was sitting by myself but it took all day to think Ah, I like it. Thank you, yeah. Uh, the, the poem that originally went with Sunrise Island and the Sunset that I did on Kickstarter was, you're born, sometimes you feel lonely, you die.
0: <laughs> Nothing existential about that whatsoever. Not
1: at all, not at all. <laughs> Just a brief summary of what happens the entire time. <laughs> sometimes you feel lonely. It's true, it's not a permanent
0: state. <laughs> exactly. It's bound to happen. That's awesome. So... It, this is available once again I, i'm going to keep uh bringing the listeners back to uh kickstarter i'm so glad you're available to do on that. kickstarter it's uh it's just got another week to week and a half to go yeah we're at 13 and, days right uh, now okay yeah, or maybe maybe less when this airs yeah that, that was the point <laughs> oh no, you're so um, you're so clever woody i've done this a few times i think so I'm still getting better but i've done this a few times so i am I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to be around 12 days when uh this airs when this is made available but uh please go to if, if this sounds compelling to you if this sounds interesting please go to kickstarter um we've almost reached the the goal the kickstarter yeah. goal so that everything will kick off the way it's supposed to at this point and i'm preparing to launch i'm like no longer like the the, I, we're, we're, the goal's
1: not there yet but i'm starting to do the actual like motions that go towards okay we're doing this
0: so a couple of things uh, just little side side quests here in our in our discussion please Humboldt County right that's where you live it is it is I have only one relationship with Humboldt County and that is uh Fireside theater Firesign theater yes there is uh uh on the album waiting for the electrician or someone like him there is a uh, a piece uh, a skit I guess is what the way you I don't know what you call it with those guys because those guys are so creative um but it is uh called temporarily humboldt county oh interesting this is and it's kind old? of a, a diatribe on um the colonization of native americans oh really really good stuff it's, it's one of my favorite really, fire sign theater that's a really good ever. place
1: to do it because we were this is the last um lands to have made contact with native americans so oh, we actually okay. have a lot we have a lot of natives on their own land still in their own like you know the reservation still they're on a reservation but I, I like to think that our that our native nations the yurok and the hoopa and um uh, the weot um give them a shout out um I, they, they still have a, a strong community membership i feel that that un- unfortunately i can't say that it'd be it's like it's not utopic you know the the yeah. the past of humboldt's just as dark as the rest of america um but nonetheless i i think that we have a really s- strong tribal presence that i really appreciate in our area it's a it's got a lot of um because it's the last place where tribes were found, it's also like one of the, it's a pretty rural area. Our roads don't work most of the year, or not most of the year, but at least for a section of the year, you can't quite get in or out, it seems. Um, it's a, uh, I like to think of it like the Shire in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel that. Where I just don't like to leave very often and I'm very much like a a, a hobbit going, oh, the world out there. I don't know if I can handle it. <laughs>
0: So, well, yeah. and so you get out with uh, your various media that you use absolutely and we, ha- we have a really high artist population too
1: is so that might make these cards really e- a little more easy to gel in my community but i don't think it's mm-hmm. like necessarily true because like one fifth of people say oh i'm not a poet i can't do this and i'm like yeah this isn't high art dude you're not making a pulitzer prize writing paper here you're, you're just trying to do three cards and Usually after about three hands, even the most reluctant player who can't do this is like, oh, this is fun. Oh, yeah.
0: I never knew I was creative. And I'm like, yep, you're human. This is normal. Yeah, there's a barrier to get past here because, you know, every, well, maybe not every student, but a lot of students who go to art class are just like, I don't don't do art. I think I can't do this um and and missing the fact that they're just kind of trampling on their own creativity and ability because they're trying to rise to some external expectation which really shouldn't be in place for art Um, honestly in life though we often like have you heard that uh
1: stage fright is the most common fear perhaps like people get built up in their head that something's supposed to be bigger in in their head they think than it is actually in reality and one of the things is that lands in that is poetry people are like oh poetry is so it's it touches the soul it has such meaning i can't make poetry right now on the fly and you're like Uh no 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 poetry doesn't have to be like it can be silly like i do a lot of just humor-based hands myself just because it's funny and i want to make a pun Mm -hmm. um and and there's a, a, for instance, I had a friend who's like, oh, I really want to look at your cards. I made them like 11 years ago. And they're like, oh, okay. I, I'm like trying to show this person for years. And every time I mention to them, they're like, they're in a hurry. And they're like, oh, I love to look at them, but I want to look at them when I have time. I'm like... <laughs> So, so you're going to wait to your deathbed then. Is that going to be the auspicious moment? You finally look at my cards. And, and I think people really build up that they want to, I want to give you that special time to look at your cards. I'm like, no, no, that, that's Isaac, not what life I'm is.
0: about to die. Can you, can you please just finally show me your cards? I can take it now.
1: Exactly. This is the auspicious moment I've been building towards. I'm like, no, no, that's not how this works. Every moment is not as bad big a deal as you think and at the same time it's a bigger deal than you think because you can learn from this moment from these three cards and get some profound thing and and it's actually not a big deal but it is but it isn't
0: and we might even say that just even addressing the cards themselves if there's some barrier there then that speaks to something going on within you already oh absolutely Um, there's a really great one I've
1: seen where someone will play two cards and then the third card they'll be like "Um, and this one I don't know it just has something to do with such and such in my life. And I'm like, perfect, you did it. That's a poem. It just yeah. happens that the last part with a little bit of thinking out loud about a pond, you know, or whatever it is. And and that's what I mean by like, everything is a poem when you respect it as art. Very Dada. Well, I love
0: that. Like, that a great, getting back to Dada. That's a great phrase. Getting back to Dada, but not as bad as the uh, some of the things that happened with Dada.
1: Yeah, I like to call it Mama Dada is my term for it. <laughs> <laughs> because I think it's typical of um what I would call well, the, the patriarchy, so to speak, that, that we pass down the, the the male names in the families because the men needed something to make sure they passed down their kids, so they gave them their names so that everyone knew that it was their kid. Because everyone knew who mother it was because the child came out of the mother. Yeah. But, but the father wanted some evidence that this was his kid, so he attached his name to it so that everyone knows. And so it's really funny that the Dada movement It really was naming itself after like the paternal term Dada, but the baby term for it. They were making fun of language and they were making fun of just the minimalism Uh of it. So they were like, this is called Dada and I call it Mama Dada because I do believe that everything was always art even before we declared everything was art and in the same way that the mother lineage goes back to the first mammal with an umbilical cord of mother to mother to mother and that the real like family connections go through the mother line regardless of us naming it because all the mothers are babying their children the same way so at least from their own mother so the lineages are really being passed down in families maternally but we name them paternally in that same way mama dada would
0: be a way of acknowledging that it's always been art all right i like that i was just thinking about the fact that for for children who are learning language mama is the easiest thing to say dada oh, is a much harder thing to say it Ab- takes more effort absolutely absolutely so i'm sure that's where before the before I think that's where she got her name, mama. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably true. It's probably the easiest sound we could make. And that was the first relationship we had. So, okay. Yeah. I'll be mama. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: And the funny thing is, is it just that same story recurs with almost every single baby over and over again.
0: It's hilarious. (laughs) So the other thing I wanted to mention, kind of our side quest here is that, uh, thank you for addressing the elephant in the room. Do not bend the cards. (laughs) Oh. It's just one little phrase on your Kickstarter, but it's so important because I've played with, you know, I use games in sessions with kids and I haven't done it as much lately, but uh, I, I inevitably always have to say something about, don't bend my cards, please. Those are my cards. Don't bend my cards. Um, for these cards, I'll tell you before you get your Roman Quest cards, how you're going
1: to stop that from happening with little kids because you cannot lose you cannot cheat and because you can't cheat you can play open-handed and just lay your cards on the table
0: Uh, now see that's very helpful
1: and then you don't get the little anxious hands bending your cards and folding them um honestly though i find it's it's also like the two rules i give for how do you decide if you're old enough to play omen quest you have to not bend the cards and you have to be able to like form associations so Now, oftentimes littler kids can play in a circle of adults and we just respect their turn the same way we respect each other's turn. And sometimes the child's just working out what if they're young enough, they're just working out what a waterfall is out loud. Right. Right. And and that's their turn. And then we move on to the next one. But it doesn't take like around seven, eight, nine kids start start forming like like the, the uh, associative psychology things start to get into their head and they start be able to create a little more poem from it or they maybe they're still playing literal like saying the the river feeds the waterfall or something like that mm-hmm. but they they start actually st- having more of the associations at those ages I'm not saying they're not bending the cards. some adults still do that um <laughs> it's it's that's why I put that rule in there is to rub it in the face of the adults who can't stop bending the cards. Come on, guys, these are the rules for the kids. Um, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's a really interesting thing trying to figure out the those little fine, finesse movements of like how an age group interacts. And usually, I think around seven, eight, nine years old um 10 and over easily kids start like really making more of a psychology movements inside of their head with the cards but yeah. they anybody can I play with my godson he's 3 and uh the way he plays is uh we ask him which of his cards is his favorite and then to tell us what he sees in the picture cuz he doesn't even realize what their pictures of so we get some really interesting hands from him and it's quite funny and he he, he even knows he's a, he's a, a little bit more of a humored uh, three-year-old than most he tells more jokes because he hangs out with a puppet troupe all the time so <laughs> uh he he's it's, it's quite quite remarkable to see how each age group finds its its way in to play omen quest Or i shouldn't even say age group how each individual finds their way in because it's completely different
0: for everyone So we've talked about this being sort of archetypal. We've talked about this being uh, similar to tarot. Do you feel like or have you used these as any kind of divination or sort of prophetic device uh, you know similar to I Ching or or Tarot or something of that nature
1: I'm I'm reluctant to I I definitely think people should they can I I don't mean to to diss Tarot when I say uh that it, it this is higher technology in my opinion because it's tapping into more more fully functioning parts of your brain rather than just getting into that part I often warn people about Tarot um I'm a longtime fan, and you know, I'm growing. I grew up in Berkeley, so my mother had introduced us to astrology and Tarot at a pretty young age. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pretty. I get. I don't know if it's annoyed, but I, I have to warn people often because I think people take it like just like poetry too seriously, and I think it's dangerous to take Tarot too seriously. I compare it to the holodeck in Star Trek and a funhouse mirror, in mm-hmm. that it's a simulation of a reality. And it's a distorted simulation of yourself. So in turn, take it with a grain of salt because I've seen people read cards like way, way too, much, give way too much power to the cards. Like, Oh my God, the cards have said this, and this is what is now. And I'm like, Oh, you're now you're going to start making it into what is because Because if you start, like, the the universe will respond to your emotions, friend. And if you're going to start emoting that, you're going to start getting, I don't know if you're really going to like what you're going to get. And I've seen people just take their life into some really dark angles just because that's how they spun the story from their Tarot deck. And the Omen Quest is far, far from that in that they're going to spin a story, and the story will be, I think, more accurate to where they're at than the random drawing of the tarot frankly because they're the ones who are reading the cards not the cards reading them and and in turn at the same time the second their turns over it's really hard to remember all your poems in omen quest you kind of forget them like by the time the next person's turn is going along because you're too busy actually listening um which actually i should i should bring up this is a great time to mention it one of the most amazing things about omen quest not a rule but a suggestion is don't look at your cards when it's not your turn it makes you okay. a better listener.
0: Right. Right. And you're not and you're not pre-preparing. So this is something we talk about in communication skills is you don't want to have that sort of filter going on, which is, what do I say next kind of thing, where it's like, instead of paying attention to what other people are saying, you're practicing and, and building what it is you're going to say next. Li- and literally, Omen Quest gives you uh, a way to practice that because we're so used to,
1: like, when we're listening to each other, we're staring at our cards trying to figure out how we're gonna arrange our cards. Like this is the proverbial cards of life. And then your mm. turn comes and you're barely listening and then you play your three cards or whatever it is. And and the whole time you really weren't paying attention. But when you get to the point of Omen Quest, like I don't make this a standard rule because I, I feel that beginners sometimes really need to stare at their cards a bit while they're trying to make their poem. But after you get kind of used to it, there's a certain point where you realize you can just kind of lay your cards closer to your chest and really really actually listen to the next person's turn Mm -hmm. and i have to say i think it's like one of the few places i've found in like all of conversation where you know you're being listened to and like you know you're listening like i'm actually listening to you i'm not thinking about stuff and i'm truly listening and i'm like i
0: don't know if there's many places we can do that like it's really hard we don't do it as much as uh, maybe we should as a culture for the most part because we do get stuck in those kind of filters mm-hmm. um, but i'd like a game that sort of pushes us into that space where it's like no listening is really important we really want to hear what you say and we really want to honor the space that you're using right now um
1: honestly i think that's I hadn't really the, thought, the core of therapy which is what say that again i think that's at the core of therapy it feels good to know
0: someone listened yeah so I, I do have something to say about Tarot. Um, Please. And that is uh, I didn't, um, you know, I, I came out of cr- Christian tradition and I didn't really have a good impression of divination systems that that were presented to me as I grew up. Mm-hmm. But once I got to a point where I was able to be open-minded enough to research these things and identify what's really going on and, and take it away from it being this this tool to, identify what to do next in my life this kind of thing where it's like it's carving a path out for me once I realized that the the source of the answer that I was getting from the cards from the from the the astrology from whatever divination system I got was not outside mm. but inside yeah then I started to have a realization that all of these things can be useful it's when you externalize it and make it separate from you rather than a part of you that things kind of fall apart and in that sense games uh omen quest any kind of activity that you do can all be reflective of our personal experience you just have to stop looking externally and start looking internally and i think that makes all the difference in the way we address these various ways of seeing ourselves
1: absolutely yeah i think you're you're quintessentially hitting omen quest on the the head of the nail right there because i think that uh that the tarot it's if anything though when the to when the tarot um it does come from internal and it does have inner meanings and yet at the same time i feel that there's this quality to it that like the images this is like when people pick a tarot deck you have to pick one that's that has pictures you relate to yeah. because because I feel that if you're going to make them work you have to be entering your emotional space and you so therefore you want to find an artist who makes you emote and then from there you kind of like get experience it but when we look at just like the old like standard um i'm going to call it this the smith weight because the the man named writer stole the artwork from a woman named smith Um but the smith weight deck is a the the images are really the old world images they're european based and if you don't have connections to the the iconography i feel that it's going to be slightly alienating and and I, i it's not just people who come from um strong religious backgrounds i think who get alienated from the cards it's just like anyone who looks at the picture of the man standing on the coast staring out at the boat and has never done that in their life because they've never been on the water edge. Mm. Or even though, no, that's not a good example because Omen Quest, some people haven't seen the ocean yet. They can still play the ocean card. But but the point being that the ocean card is a more universally accepted icon than the person crying next to the church door.
0: Yeah, okay. So choose your mirror wisely is is really what it comes down to.
1: Yeah, or or in this case just choose Omen Quest cuz it's, <laughs> it's a really good mirror. <laughs> Spoken like a true salesman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I I really uh, really mean it on that one. I'm like, "Nah, just get an Omen Quest. You could do your tarot too, but just cuz the thing about Omen Quest is and it's very different than a lot of board games and tarot is, is that I kind of am hoping you'll carry it in your pocket or your purse because I you don't need to wait to game night. And you don't need to wait till like we're in a formal setting and like, oh, we're going to do this now. You just like you can kind of get it out anywhere. And I do like because I'm trying to like promote it. And so mm-hmm. I, but I don't even like promoting it. I just want to play with people. So I'll get it out and I'll show them the cards. And as I mentioned, they'll go, ooh, and then they go, ah, and then you can't lose. And they're like, what? <laughs> Give me. <laughs> you hand them five cards. And though you're like running them to them and you're like literally putting the cards on the avocados in the produce section at the grocery store, like. <laughs> they're so excited to get these five cards and we'll just like play like three rounds and then they're like, wow, well, that was great, thanks. And then they they totally get the sensation of it and it can happen anywhere to the point that like, one thing I say is like, we can really do away with conversational awkward moments pretty quickly just by saying, hey, wanna look at my cards? Yeah, Most people will take up the invitation.
0: I have this v- image of you. Uh, you have a backpack on. You are walking in the country and uh, just stopping off anywhere and playing. You're like the Johnny Appleseed of, of card games here going on. <laughs> Your image is pretty accurate, except for uh, the back. I wear
1: a bow tie and top hat on a pretty daily basis, so the backpack just doesn't go.
0: Oh, that, that's true. But You're right. Just, they don't. They, they clash
1: you're gonna have yeah that clashed entirely woody i can't i can't go with that visual otherwise it was a great idea but yeah that's exactly what it's like i'm I'm playing i i played in the parking lot of my grocery store last night because a friend was walking out of the store and we got into like that middle island of the parking lot and he was with his girlfriend and she she hadn't seen the cards before and we we had played before and so we just instantly started playing out in the cold night it was kind of hilarious (laughs) But, uh, yeah, maybe not always in the cold night, but you
0: can play in the cold night. It's totally viable. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Under the streetlights. So, uh, a couple of questions more here um, related to games. And the first is, you've you've introduced this to a lot of people, and I'm sure that Mm. we're talking about two different kinds of people here when we talk about casual gamers and, you know, hobby gamers. Uh, my my impression is that the casual gamers are really getting it; they're enjoying it, and they're they're finding something of use here. How about mm-hmm. the hobby gamers? How are they responding to this game?
1: They, um, I think it's a mixed hat um, from the hobby gamers. At least in the conversations, they're the first ones when you tell them they can't lose; they furrow their brow. <laughs> we like competition. They're like, wait, but I love dominating my friends <laughs> and. And I, I, I don't know how to tell them, like, look, I think you're going to get some of the same from it. And I have to be honest, that crowd has, uh, no, the game shop, the hard, some hardcore gamers that love Omen Quest. So there's a few of them that are a little, a little more resistant because they have the, I know what a game is, and I have an expectation of what a game is. And I think that it's their own resistance that's kept them from, from going into it. But once again, once someone plays three cards of the hands, they get pretty they start seeing that it's happening and they start realizing, like, I think the word that everyone keeps reminding me to use more often with Omen Quest cards lately is fun. Um, like, I often forget, cause I've got these great romanticized ideals about what these cards can do. And and people will play, oh my God, these are fun. And I'm like, yeah, and, and they help your, your feelings. They're like, no, no, these are so fun, dude. And I'm like, oh yeah, they're fun. They're, thanks, they're fun. <laughs> I remember that now. I tend to have fun at most everything I do, so I I don't really always can tell um,
0: what is and isn't
1: fun. Uh, It's a condition.
0: My my belief is that underneath fun, and I know this is going to sound very uh, jaded to a lot of people who are listening, but underneath fun, there is always something else that is at play. And fun is... uh, you know we obviously enjoy having fun we enjoy comedy we enjoy all these different things but the deeper answer going on is that there is a reason that we're having these experiences and there's there they are archetypal reasons they are psychological reasons that don't always present themselves you know it can be i'm uncomfortable with this so the only way to respond to it is to to laugh it it can be i'm looking for a distraction and i don't recognize that uh, the fact that i'm grieving over my dead rabbit is coming through but all these different things you know we're not single-layered individuals so i i I tend to think that fun i don't know if i'm i don't know if i'm hitting the right note here because i'm I'm still playing with the idea and i'm you know reality is still a mystery to me but I, i i believe that uh fun can at least part of the time have a hidden component to it and so those people who are saying it's fun may just not be able to deal with the presentation of what it really is doing
1: no i'm, I'm gonna go and say now that it's, it's really fun like i was playing with someone okay after i got into the grocery store last night we played this in the pro in the bulk section um i ran into another friend and they and i, I played with them and like her body language was distinctly fun she started okay. like doing those little tiny bouncing steps that you do when your feet are close <laughs> together because yeah was, and like she was like like playing a card and then bouncing and then playing another card and like wheeling her hands like, started, like doing jazz hands so to speak um like like it gets into the body in a way because you start really like getting really you feel it kind of i don't want to say cellularly but i kind of feel like there's a internal ingestion that happens that is fun um uh to to kind of counter what you were saying or or even complimenting sure, whatever. Um, that i grew up my, my mother has like some pretty pretty extreme mental struggle she has to work through Mm -hmm. um so i had a really traumatic childhood um in all kinds of ways and and i think that's part part of how i've learned to use fun as a common mechanism and how my coping mechanism of life Mm -hmm. so i i i do know like yeah everything has these deep subconscious archetypal feelings that go between them and fun can be had simultaneously i think that it's really a matter of um, I think fun is just when we feel to loosen up, you know, it's kind of like when you, when you get a, like slightly loosen your tie, mm-hmm. um, it's when you get a slouch a little bit after a long day and, and, and that fun is kind of that space we hold where we feel like we're, we're in a, a naturalistic mode. Uh, I think that's, I, I think that might be what fun is for me. I think you're right that there's layers of fun and there's so much more happening to fun as someone who's perpetually having fun because I can't stop playing with whatever's in front of me. Um but th- again that being born blue I think might have done something like that, or I just can't remember to focus long enough and everything turns into a game. Mm-hmm. But it's uh I think that there's a benefit that I really enjoy to to saying to people simply, like look, we're gonna we're you're gonna express your feelings. We're gonna talk about our feelings. It's gonna be it's gonna be somewhat therapeutic. Again, no clinical studies have been run. Um, but <laughs> Uh, in turn, though, the main thing to let everyone know is you're going to have fun. All um, right, you're gonna you're gonna know your friends a little better too. Um, there's a great thing that happened to me recently. I have an old friend um, who, from years ago, he was a transfer student to Humboldt State from Kentucky, and he played on Omen Quest cards back when they were on three by five cards in 2010. I had them printed, but in, he played them back when they were were still three by five cards. Mm-hmm. And he was visiting in town, he surprised me, stepped into my work, um, and uh, we had a quick, you know, one of those quick conversations, you can have someone with you at work really quick. And he asks, how, how's Omen Quest going, because he's seen I'm posting it on Facebook and the Kickstarter hadn't launched yet. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, it's going great, I'm really excited, and, and here, let's play right now, you haven't played in a while. And he goes, I don't know, man, like I'm not the same starry-eyed kid I used to be. I don't know if Omen Quest is gonna have the same effect on me. And I was like, oh, nonsense, here's five cards. (laughs) And I handed him five cards and I I played my poem and then he played his. And the things he said, it was completely with metaphor and it was completely like, it was a poem. Mm -hmm. But the things he said keyed me in so quickly to where he really, really was in life that I had to ask some follow-up questions. I was like, what's going on at home? What's going on there? Are you thinking about moving? Blah, 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 and like, it, the conversation only went another five minutes, so we had eight minutes total, uh-huh. but in hindsight, I was like, I I don't think I could ever caught up with him that rich without the Omen Quest cards. Oh my God! You mean they help old friendships, too?
0: <laughs> it, it was a revelation. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, we've talked about games a lot, um, you haven't really talked about your relationship with games. You talked about your history with games, but are you t- would you, on the spectrum of casual gamer versus hobby gamer? Where would you find yourself in that spectrum right now? And
1: Ooh, I'm, I'm definitely in a loose middle um, because, <laughs> um, I, yeah, because we, I play games with my kids. Like we, we tend to uh, my son likes the classics chess and Othello. Mhm. Um, like just that, the basic, uh, math equation that's available in those. Sure. Like it's, 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 he really likes those. Um, we tend to do some of the others. I, I'm actually sitting next to the game box and, and feeling like I'm a little less. Oh, here, let me lean over and look at the game box. Sure. Um, I think I mentioned before we love Clue. Yeah. that's a family favorite cause we like theater in our family and, and I always, give my characters voices
0: okay
1: um and uh let's see we've really enjoyed some um citadel recently oh digsit i think is our favorite Actually, now that i think about it i think digsit we found digsit because people like were recommending games like omen quest over the years oh have you seen digsit and i'm like Mm -hmm. let me check that out and i'm like oh this is it had a similar vein in that we're like removing words from most of the equation at least on the on the cards themselves yeah um I th- I mentioned Citadel we really enjoyed that one. Um What are some of my other favorites?
0: Uh Oh, we recently got Gloom and had a great time I was just going to say Gloom. Gloom is a great like if you like doing the voices and you like Clue then Gloom is a great choice. Oh, I know Gloom is is absolutely grand.
1: I love it because again, I li- I like doing the voices. I'm a puppeteer so. Um I think uh we don't play Apples to Apples as much as we used to. I see that in there. Um and, uh, uh, oh, we do some boggle okay. and bananagrams because we we're we really like playing with language um in our household. Um, and I think, I feel like, oh, Guess Who is actually oh, yeah. one, of our, one of our, I actually custom made a Star Trek Guess Who. Oh, nice. Um, that is, is how we play, yeah. So you, you're, you have to like eliminate whether you're doing like the first generation t- or your, is it yours, your, A science officer is it a human it's it's actually i find the best combination of guess who possible
0: (laughs) i so want to play this game now
1: yeah um maybe i can upload a file for you to print on some card stock
0: (laughs) i'd love that uh we are we are definitely a distance apart here i'm on the east coast you're on the west coast but uh i i would love to uh play star trek guess who Oh um, you you it's the best version of Guess Who my, by far. The game was originally um, Who's It and now uh I think it's uh what is his name? Is it Rob Davio? Uh, Restoration Games is a, a company who takes uh old games and turns them into new games and the new version of that is called Dinosaur Tea Party. And oh, that's what Dinosaur Tea Party is? Yes. Yes, and so the, oh. it's guess who, and it's it's fantastic. It's a really great, and you put on these posh accents and act like uh, aristocratic dinosaurs, basically, for the game. Um, That's brilliant. Yeah, it, it's wonderful. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, until they find out about licensing Star Trek, of course.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> They're gonna take that one on for sure. Oh yeah. Oh, that's great! I love it. Um, I'm probably gonna have to even go add that to our collection because we never tire of Guess Who. I've only got two kids, um, so they they tend to often gravitate towards something like you know a two person one on one game. Yeah, so they can take each other on in a head to head duel. So yeah, exactly. Um, what other games can I think of? Oh, I make a scavenger hunt. I don't know how much that. Counts yeah, as, I was gonna as, go as into talking about
0: not. your other projects. Before we go here, I, I wanted to talk about the puppeteering. I wanted to talk about the podcast and the uh, the um, the scavenger, scavenger hunt. hunt, which is is fantastic. Yeah. So these are all projects that you're involved in, and indeed, uh, indeed, I'd give you a chance to kind of plug each one real quick before we go. Well, the, the 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 plugging the scavenger hunt is a little bit off because it's not really
1: pluggable because you only can play if you're local to my region because it's uh, a lot okay. of it's, it's a local based game. But the idea, um, was, first of all, in two thousand and ten, I started doing chalkboard games in the street during fest- street festivals here in my town. Okay, in which I would create uh, like a hopscotch to move to, panel, like to squares and the squares have cards, like a pole comes out of it and you can draw a card. Mm-hmm. The, you draw the card and then it gives you um, a something like an a improv prompt. So you might have to fight through a, a gusty wind to get to the next space. Or you might have to climb a rope, like pull an invisible rope but there's going to be some sort of physical improv game that's going to get you to the next space but meanwhile there'd be like sets of things like sing your full name out loud and it became just a way of getting people to goof off and be silly in the middle of a festival together because i think that uh convincing people to do silly things and embarrass themselves in front of each other is a great community builder yeah um it's just And I think that, honestly, the way the world goes, um, we're going to need to build community. All the things that we look at, we're like, how are we going to deal with this and that? I'm like, honestly, guys, just start building your community because you don't know what you're going to have to face, but you're going to have to face it together. So um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play silly games together. So that's why I I go about creating that. But that eventually, it became a little challenging as the years went by doing the same thing every year at the festivals and trying to break people out of their norm when they were used to this game. So I had to up my Annie and I heard about Gishwish, the world's largest scavenger hunt mm-hmm. uh, and the, I heard the ideas and they weren't collecting items so much as taking photos. And then uh, the movie, I think it was Michael J Fox's first movie was called midnight madness. It was an eighties movie mm-hmm. about a bunch of, I guess college kids going on a scavenger hunt and, as a child in the eighties, somehow this movie would end up in front of me, like on on cable. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted to be in a scavenger hunt. And they were following riddles to get to locations. And then you get to the location, it leads you to another riddle, it leads you to another location. And so what I did was I kind of took what I heard about from Gishwish and what I always wished that a scavenger hunt would be for me from having seen this movie as a child. And I kind of merged them together into this, epic adventure of nine days long that I have teams playing each other and I don't expect them to finish because I've made it too big to finish Okay, and then I give them dozens of tasks to do which are creative prompts that they have to take photos of and then post the photos on the internet where I can see them that I can verify that they're doing the tasks and that's how they unlock more riddles and the riddles take them to locations throughout the area that then give them clues to puzzle pieces and then they have to solve the puzzles okay and it's utterly meant to be overwhelming and ridiculous and get you and your friends having a problem in life together that's got really zero actual consequences but i don't think that we actually have enough problems that we share with our friends we tell them about our problems and then we all go deal with our problems alone um
0: and i made boggle bang to be a problem we deal with together nice so west coast only only in your area uh, I was looking at it I was hoping that it was humble be... only honestly Humble only, a, okay. a, and you have to live here for years before you know how to
1: solve these riddles
0: <laughs> okay so it takes quite, quite an apprenticeship yeah, to yeah, get involved although in the m- game my sister lives in the bay area and we have been batting
1: around getting a, a boggle bang for the bay area as well and I think it's something that could be created outside of the areas that I live in mm-hmm. I like I know how to make a boggle bang but it would take somebody else like reaching out to local businesses and local locations, writing the riddles. So, if anyone's out there listening, and is like, "Dang, I need to have this happen in my town." I could, I, we, maybe we could work together. I, I'd be willing to help the world be silly and goof off and play games to bond in other regions.
0: Yeah, it might be an alternative to the Moon Tower. Yeah, yeah, um, I think so. And now uh, your puppet, uh, kinetic, oh, yes, kinetic paranormal society. Is that right? Yeah, the Kinetic Paranormal Society. Um, It's a pair
1: of socks in a magical wardrobe. They're traveling through time and space and solving supernatural mysteries. Um, They're not sock puppets, so to speak, as much as they're sock people. They have hands and feet, and they have clothes and hats and and whatnot. Um, Very dapper, because if you're going to live in a wardrobe, you're probably going to be well-dressed.
0: Fair enough, Uh, yeah
1: and so uh it's it's bartleby and artemis and then there's a whole i do like maybe 80 percent of the voices in the show and i have a, a orchestra mm-hmm. and a few other puppeteers and we kind of do a sitcom where the the poets go on different adventures and different times like one of our one of our favorites is the zombie app apocalypse in which the end of the world is brought on by the world's stupidest app and uh zombie run everyone's turned to the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, but
0: is the zombie? oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, it's a zomb- it's
1: it's, it's, a, it's a zombie horror story, okay. um, but a comedy, of course, in which our heroes have to uh, alter the time stream to stop the zombie apocalypse ap- from coming to exist. Um, and then like that that goes in line with a very the, the theme of our shows. We have another one, one of my favorites, is the wayward werewolf. Um, and it's kind of a parody of Alien um, in which they come upon a, uh, some grad students in space who are on a space field trip studying space whales and, (laughs) and there's some, the monster's been on board the ship and has been slowly taking down the, the the crew of, and the students. And then our heroes enter and there's three remaining people and one of them has to be the monster. They're convinced and it becomes a. A ridiculous a lot of wordplay goes on like i said i love puns um i love grammar jokes as well when you can figure out how to like use use those things so it's really really nerdy humor with a lot of sci-fi uh pop culture referencing um it's 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 uh my the way my best way of making amends for the fact that we no longer have futurama
0: okay that's fair (laughs) Yeah. You, I you should, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm speaking, obviously, for a group of people that I have no control over, no, uh, no idea that this would even work. But um, our local convention, which is a, really one of the biggest uh, fa- fantasy and science fiction conventions um, around, is called DragonCon. And DragonCon has, in the past five years, started a puppetry track. Where puppeteers come and do their puppet shows, and we, oh, you're met, kidding. you know, I've, I've got to see Steve Whitmire talk and I've got to see um, a lot of the people from Henson uh, come up and talk. And uh, th- there's also uh, a puppet slam that night, and uh, there's a lot of really great stuff going on. So it might be something you want to look into to uh, to connect with the folks at DragonCon and see if you can come out to to Georgia Absolutely. on uh, what is it, Labor Day weekend? And, uh, Feast us with your your wares so to speak.
1: I would love to it'll be uh, my only trick is it's become a little harder because um, My orchestra uh, conductor and one of my puppeteers are a Family and that three-year-old that I mentioned and um, he's gonna have a sibling coming this this current uh, winter, so my only my only misgiving is gonna be I have to I have to get these kids old enough that I can get my godchildren across the country. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I'm like yeah, we're we're a, it's a pretty big production, and but man, uh, I I'm super super excited, and I'm already gonna consider um attending now on my own if nothing else i can i can do the wardrobe on my own if i have to and honestly i never really realized at a at a a game con or a comic con kind of like conventional space would be a really wonderful place to um just go around in a magical wardrobe because it's a what it is is that we have something called the kinetic sculpture race up Mm -hmm. here um, a man named Hobart Brown, the great Hobart Brown, uh, he's no longer with us. He passed away some decade ago, but, uh, he was an eccentric artist in the town of Ferndale, which is a Victorian little town out, out South of me here, mm-hmm. maybe about 42 miles away. And he, um, let's see, he started sometime in Memorial Weekend of 1969. It might have been April Fool's. I've heard two different versions of the story. We hold the race Memorial Weekend now, but it might have been April Fool's. Maybe that's just a romanticized version of the story. I don't know. But he made his his son a ridiculous tricycle with, like, many wheels. It was more than a tricycle. Mm-hmm. And a friend saw him building it and challenged him to a race in which they built a ridiculous contraption as well. And the two of them in 1969 raced down the main street of Ferndale. And the town gathered around to watch this ridiculous event. Um, and... The next year, there were some new challengers, and it has gone that way now for 50 years. Uh, It's become a sport internationally called kinetic racing, in which bicycle-powered sculptures race through multiple terrains, and... Uh, here our race has become kind of is now called the kinetic grand championship because we had to kind of keep upping our game to be the biggest of all of the races. (laughs) And so now we race the 42 miles between Arcata to Ferndale and we start in my town. And uh, then we go to the dunes and actually go over the sand dunes and run along the beach and these, in these bicycle powered sculptures. Then we uh, go down what's called dead man's drop, a ridiculous plummet down a uh, a really steep dune i can't believe we're still doing this every year i think it's steeper every year <laughs> i've been really recommending we get a bucket brigade going on and like add some sand to the dune because guys guys this is getting really scary eventually it's gonna cause us to get hurt um well no it's already it's, it's already caused injury so that's <laughs> okay. me, me sign waivers all right um <laughs> <laughs> And then we cross a bridge and then we camp out um, the first night over in Eureka um, near the waterfront. And then the second day, the vehicles go into the water of the bay and ride through the harbor and they're water ready vehicles. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, this is this is intense. And then it, they used to actually ride through the bay. And this is one of the most like dangerous rated bay entries in the entire Pacific coast. And yet... These bicycle-powered sculptures would use. They used to ride over to the actual jetty at the opening of the bay. Across, they don't do that since nine eleven because the coast guard don't have time to like rescue. Yeah, eccentric artists out of the bay anymore. Apparently, <laughs> um, but now we we go back on the land from the harbor, and then we kind of take the back roads of Eureka um, all the way through, occasionally getting on the highway itself uh, ending on a beach in a town of Lolita, um, and then, uh, which is the furthest west point I should add as a, in the entire, um, Northern continent uh the, the the main states of America. Um there's even a X Files episode where they have to end in Lolita because there's a guy who's got something trapped in his head who has to head west. Um anyway, so we end up at the beach. It's not the one from the episode. They filmed that in Canada. And uh we camp at that beach that night and then we cross the Eel River the next day and finish in Ferndale. And it's ridiculous and Sometime years ago, Bartleby, um, my puppet, he says, oh, we've got to race in this race, Isaac. we got to do this. We have to build a kinetic sculpture. And I turn to him and I say, we? You don't do anything. Your hands don't, you, you don't. At the time, he didn't have hands. He yeah. was just a sock back then. You don't even have hands. I do all the work. And a year later, by absolute coincidence, um, I was in a circus production with Humboldt Circus and they needed my my evil villain puppet it was gonna be the um, antagonist of the show. And they needed me entering and exiting. And I was like, I hide behind a wall, guys. What's your plan? And they're like, oh, we'll figure it out. And I was like, we? Really? Um, and then I had an epiphany and made a what I consider a giant baby walker that allows for me to move without being seen inside of a box that I can stick my hand from to create a, a, a place for the puppets to perform from. And that gave way to the magic wardrobe. Wow. So now I go around in a magic wardrobe baby walker, and we're not fully bicycle-powered as other sculptures might be, because um, what we're doing is kind of we bend time, space, and rules. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, and in turn though, we have really absurd ways of racing the race. Like when we do the water entry, for years we did it with a special puppet stage sealant that that came in one color of royal rainbow, um, which is the same color as the emperor's gowns. So we would get caution tape to cordon off our invisible wardrobe, and we'd push our invisible wardrobe into the bay and then retrieve it on the other side. Um, and in recent years we've used a transmogrifier from Calvin and Uh Hobbes to shrink the wardrobe to tinier sizes so we can then put it on a fishing pole and uh, with a fishing rod get it through the water entry. So we keep coming up with more and more silly and ridiculous ways to do different parts of the race and I think now after racing we've done eight years I think there's an expectation um, that we're going to do something more silly each year and so the
0: pressure is on. That, that that's just really exciting so if you do decide to come to dragon con just so you know this is like a geek mardi gras it's uh, about oh seventy five thousand people all converging oh on five hotels in atlanta and um you will be well received but you will be in a crowd so if you're trying to walk around it, it should be in a wardrobe that a will wardrobe. be funny yeah that, that there, there could be places um, for that i i see possibilities so um there will be some logistical issues but i built it to fit through most
1: doorways um so that that's that'll work and honestly if i do i gotta be honest this kind of absurdity is the if you haven't noticed i really live for this kind of stuff i can Uh, see that yes yeah i'm like this (laughs) sounds like just my speed trying to navigate through seventy five thousand people in a wardrobe perfect um i really like being myself but i think that that crowd would really uh, Appreciate Bartleby. He's um, he's got level eleven charisma.
0: Yeah, I, I can I can hear that.
1: Well, that, no, that's Bartleby. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's oh, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I do look forward to getting out there. If you ever want to visit us, Memorial weekends when we do the race. Okay. Um.
0: Yeah. You your you, yours is Labor Day weekend. Con- yeah, like Labor Day weekend. So uh, September, Perfect. August, September kind of change over there. Oh, that's that's great, and that's
1: actually right before my scavenger hunt, so I could actually still make that excellent yeah
0: so isaac it's um, been wonderful to talk to you um i know that people can find all of your work on dragonflower.inc um, correct it's a little bit of a choose your own adventure website so you'll have to click around to find each of the treasure troves yes uh, but uh where can our listeners find you otherwise uh i tweet at i bluefoot
1: and um you can find my artwork and my um i think dragonflower.inc on instagram is a good place to see the general flagship of all of my work okay um i have from there you can get into the links that lead you to the website I, i don't think we went to my podcasts i do a podcast called my blue foot i think you can find that on itunes it's me just telling existential kind of uh different anecdotes of sorts so Mm -hmm. i in the first one i talk about the futility of words because if we're going to make a podcast out of words first we're going to put a little disclaimer (laughs) that the true Tao can't be spoken you know um and uh so i do that podcast bartleby has his podcast metacosmos also on itunes Um, I think we're on Facebook as Dragonflower Inc. You can also find just my, I'm an illustrator. I, I, I'm actually for hire. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm at bluefoot.art is how you find me there. Uh, I'm a poet. I'm at bluefoot.prose on Instagram. Those are both Instagrams. Um, you can find Kinetic Paranormal Society and Boggle Bang on Instagram um honestly the worst part about doing all of this work is just trying to maintain the social media for all these projects i think i can totally do all the projects it's just maintaining social media on every single one of them just go to dragonflower.inc on on uh either the web or on instagram
0: both ways have the dot that's the best way to find me excellent and once again for our listeners, Omen Quest the the card game is available now on kickstarter meaning that it's going to it's going to release in i think you said spring
1: yeah we're, we're hoping to have it out by spring is the is the goal um and you can also see omenquestcards.com to get all of the uh things that aren't available on the kickstarter
0: and and if they miss the kickstarter for some reason they're listening to the show after the kickstarters happened um I, i'm Guessing this is going to happen anyway, or I—I I feel like that. Like this has been 11 years
1: for me. I'm—I'm—I'm yeah. I'm, I'm pretty determined to make this happen no matter what. I think. Um, I often one of my one of my sayings is I don't think we're going to solve climate change until we can talk about our feelings. So, um, <laughs> it's going to happen after we talk about our feelings, whether you believe it or not. We're not going <laughs> to deal with it until after you've talked about your feelings that's how we're going to talk about whether we ex- the whole thing um like all of these things that everyone sees as challenges in the world i think that like you know emotions come first so i'm determined if if the world doesn't um end my time on it sooner i'm gonna make these cards happen no matter what i feel really good about this kickstarter right now um we need to keep moving forward and i'm sure there's a really good chance that everyone listening as this comes out would w- we still need your help at this very moment absolutely Um, and, but after the Kickstarter, if you're listening to this on an old episode, I'm gonna just optimistically say it it worked and come to (laughs) omenquestcards.com and buy your deck um it's great everyone's getting cards there will be expansion decks um there was not just a list of archetypes of the of land formations there were six different lists of archetypes that i was keeping back in 2003 okay um and so i always wanted to expand but honestly i don't know if i need to because i feel that after 11 years i'm like well you can play for 11 years with just this deck it turns out but once i play with more than like eight people the card deck runs out pretty fast and we have to shuffle often so it'd be really nice if we had more cards
0: <laughs> we'll look forward to the expansion packs then of course yeah. you know gamers we like to expand things <laughs> oh i
1: know i know i'm part gamer too
0: <laughs> well thank Actually, you I'm so much i'm kidding i'm a gamer
1: we play DD um <laughs> So yeah, thank you, Woody. I've had a great time.
0: Yes, it's been a really good conversation and I look forward to uh, finding out more and I I look forward to, I don't know how I'll do it, but I look forward to somehow getting out and checking out the kinetic race. Oh, I really hope you do. I'll I'll hope to see you at DragonCon. There we go. There we go. Cheers. Okay. Thanks, Isaac. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Rolling for Change, a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. If you'd like to get involved with our discussion, we tweet at Change. You can email us, gamers at rollingforchange.com, or you can check in at the Geek Therapy Forum where you can join in with the Geek Therapy community and discuss any of our episodes. More recently, we've started interacting with the community on Geek Therapy Discord page. So many ways to contact us, and we really do want to hear from you. Our theme music was provided by Rocket Scientists. You can find their music on Bandcamp, as well as Amazon and any other place you find great music. Be sure and check out the rest of the Geek Therapy network of podcasts by looking for Geek Therapy on your podcast aggregator. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, keep on rolling for change.